Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the podcast Strikes Back. My name is George, you're listening to the weekly movie show with this guy, Connor. I'm that guy. And this guy, Benny. I'm this guy. Hello. We're changing I'm really glad up. you said that. We're changing I was, it I was up. Like- <laughs> Thank you so much for jo- joining us, guys, for another week of movie antics. We've got some It news with a pretty big opening haul. Also some news with... Hawkeye on Disney Plus, and we've also got to talk about the Doctor Sleep trailer that dropped earlier in the week. But first, as we always like to do, it's time to catch up on what everyone's been watching. Benny, yes, you've been uh, you've been on some antibiotics, which has kept you out of trouble, right? Uh, mostly. And now you've been watching a lot of movies. Yeah, I've been a bit under the weather, so I've just been at home uh, watching plenty of content. Um, it's been a good week. Uh, I started out in the uh, in the cinema with um, the farewell. Um, now it's the new film starring Aquafina um, about a, uh, a college-aged girl in America, um, played by Aquafina, who has to go back home to China because her grandmother is dying, and the entire family um, she's got like three months to live. The entire family has lied to the grandmother and says she's fine. They've hid her results from her because they think it'd be too much stress for her, and they don't want to worry her about it. Um, and it's just this really beautiful movie about uh, kind of the complicated dynamics of families and how much lying there actually is involved in family and uh, kind of cultural differences between America and China. Um, and it's it's an amazing um, uh, uh, showcase for Aquafina, who up to this point I'd only seen in like comical roles or her work as a rapper. Because she um, was the comedic, uh, you know, hit in the in crazy rich asians yeah exactly yeah that's probably where most people know her from and uh oceans eight uh, more recently um this is a, an american produced film or it's an a24 film okay so, yes yeah um mostly in uh mandarin so it's got that indie sort of drama vibe to it absolutely yeah um yeah and, and as an a24 film it really is that cut above most kind of standard drama films they're just killing it right now yeah absolutely it's just got a cool kind of vibe to it and some some interesting artistic like esoteric choices that are open to interpretation which you wouldn't generally find in something that is kind of based on a true story and just a family drama um highly recommend this movie incredibly touching um i wouldn't be surprised if this goes down as one of my favorites of the year um nice one that sounds like a great recommend yep then a fountain uh, the, farewell? The, the farewell. Farewell. The farewell. Yes. The farewell. Yeah. That's the Aronofsky film. Yes. That I did not which watch. Which I really, again. really need to rewatch. I've next, been thinking about next that the... as well. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> next at home, I watched Bo Burnham's directorial debut, Eighth oh. Grade, which I'd heard nothing but good things about all yeah. last year. This has been year. on my list. This has been hyped up something fierce. Yeah. Um, this this was um, a really beautiful little film. Basically, I mean, the title is Eighth Grade. You can guess what it's about. It's about a girl in in that year. Um, and the awkwardness of that age, um, almost the the horror of it. Uh, people kind of describe it as a horror movie in a lot of ways because it really is very tense. Watching this um, this girl who has not figured out who she is yet, trying to navigate the insane kind of social world that you know has always been insane, but is so exacerbated by by social media and everything. So it is today. a modern. It's it's got the yeah. You know, it's twenty eighteen. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Out. That's what's so amazing. Bo Burnham, I discovered through his stand up, and was absolutely blown away by the by what I'd seen. Um, and this movie really solidified that most creative kind of talents like that when they make their first film, they will tell some variation 
that hews very closely to their personal story. So that's why we get so many, you know, dramas, semi-fictionalized, set in a few decades ago. But this, this is Bo Burnham writing a story about like a 12, 13, 14-year-old girl uh, today, it, which is a completely different world than, than he or, or we grew up in, necessarily. It, it sounds very nihilistic, which, it would, which would not be surprising. It's not. From, it's absolutely from not. From Bo Burnham, because he is probably one of the most nihilistic comedians I think I've ever seen. Oh, my God. I always find an absolute uh, lining of hope to his work. Like, uh, and, and this movie um, you know? <laughs> really follows, follows that thread. It is, um, it really... Like it's quite authentic. It's a hard watch, but it really leaves it you. Doesn't, he, it doesn't have that Hollywood sheen. Yeah. Well, this, this is... Bo this Burnham is often... Per, oh, sorry, go purely ahead. anecdotal, but yeah. from what I've heard, it's, it's yeah. more of an accurate representation of a of that sort of time in your life mm. rather than sort of the inflated Hollywood. Mm, totally. That wouldn't surprise me because Bo Burnham throughout all his comedy and, and, um, and his music and all that is struggles with authenticity. Like, I mean, that's mm. a major theme of pretty much everything he does is, you know, this kind of, he, he always strikes me as this kind of anxiety ridden nihilistic comedian that is obsessed with being authentic and happy, um, which is kind of this, weird weird kind of mix that works for him he he does it very well um so that really shines through in the film because the 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 lead character the the girl is a vlogger like she essentially has a youtube series of kind of self-help videos which is how he started not the self-help yeah he was a vine guy yeah. yeah um which really contrasts well to how she's managing her own life um really really wonderful little film uh recommend Next up, I watched uh, another one we reviewed the trailer for ages ago, Anna and the Apocalypse, which anyone would remember as the zombie musical mm. um, set in a, a high school in the UK. Um, very strange one, this one. Um, <laughs> it looked it, yeah. Yeah, it, it's a very like extremely bog-standard zombie movie that also happens to be quite a standard high school musical. Um, I don't know if it really meshes perfectly, but what I will say is it really commits to both of its premises. Um, it is like a full-on high school musical, and it is also an extremely like hyper-violent zombie movie with no worries about casualties. So you said about, or you kind of mentioned that this was very typical of each genre. Does mm. the mix make something somewhat unique? Or? Yeah, it's kind of like that peanut butter and jelly thing, um, and I'm not entirely sure. I, I wasn't really enraptured <laughs> by it. as an Australian, that's just ungodly. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible. Um, yeah, I, I won't say it was entirely gripping, but the, the soundtrack's actually stayed with me. I've been listening to it all week. Okay. Um, but well, well produced. Um, if you think that's something you're going to be into, you'll probably get something out of it. If you're not interested, stay away because it's yeah. not going to convert anyone to either genre. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I was going to say something, but don't, don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, now, next up, I accidentally watched a, a fairly relevant film directed by Mary Elizabeth Winston, Winstead's husband, who uh, is directed the upcoming The Art of Self-Defense. Yep. Um, now this movie is called Faults. It's from uh, five or six years ago. It's this really cool little thriller about um, this uh, psychologist trying to deprogram um, a a cult, someone they've captured from a cult. This couple's daughter, uh, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Um, this movie was such a little puzzle box of a film. It starts out looking like this weird cringe comedy thing, 
um, that was already working for me. And then it, it just pivots into something completely different. And you spend the whole time watching it like you would a David Lynch film, like uh, you would uh, Memento or something, just mm. being like, what, what is like, what is this all going to turn into? Um, I'm not sure I was entirely blown away by how it all resolved, but it was well worth a watch. Interesting. Those, those, always, those movies always run that risk of if, you, if you're going to be that kind of out there yeah. and, you know, Better come all together. over the place. Yeah, it's like this, this entire movie is dependent on the, the ending. And I'd say nine out of ten, they don't work. Totally. So when yeah. that one comes through, it's just that golden nugget. Mm. It is, you know, yeah. like a predestination. Like, mm. you know, predestination, that, memento. Um, loops back perfectly. Yeah. yeah, even Donnie Darko is kind of giving me vibes mm. of just okay. like watching it being like, I don't know what's I was happening. When was the last time you watched Donnie Darko? I was thinking about that the other day, man. I don't yeah. think I've watched... It since I watched the director's cut, which is a vastly different film. Yeah. That I remember that being the movie that when we were in school, we were like, if you want to be like have your mind blown, <laughs> yeah. watch Donnie Darko. Yeah. You want to be edgy and like the yeah. film guy in class. <laughs> Get yeah. that shit in you. I don't watch this. I watched Donnie Darko. Yeah. yeah. Whoa, what the hell What's is your that favorite film? Uh, I really like Donnie Darko. Um, so that was false. I do I do recommend that one. I think okay. you'd get a kick out of it, George. Yeah, for sure. Um then I watched Assassination Nation. Um which Assassination Nation. Assassination Nation. We reviewed the trailer ages oh, ago. It was familiar. basically small town America. Um, someone in the vein of Anonymous is hacking people's data and their phones, and a, a bunch of the towns, um, every bit of their information gets released, and it basically spirals into anarchy. Um, it's essentially like Tumblr versus 4chan as the real world. Ugh. Like, yeah, it's really interesting. It's very over the top. Um, I, I really had fun with this. It's it's a very stylized film um, in the way it's put together, but it also feels realistic in its depictions of violence and stuff. Like, it never, like, spirals out. Like, people do get crazy armed and there's fights in the streets, but it never spirals into, like, stylized action. It's still just, like people trying to shoot each other and stuff. It's really weird. Um, and if you think you can stomach that premise, I would recommend that too. I don't know if that one's for me. Yeah, I check out the trailer. It says everything you need to know. Then I watched Jennifer Kent's follow-up to The Duke. went back to the cinema and watched mm. The Nightingale. Ah, um, very ah. controversial. Australia's film, yeah, that really made a lot of rounds on the internet after its um, premiere at the cinema I work at where we had a lot of people walk out very vocally and very angrily um, because of the film's depiction of, uh, of sexual assault and uh, other violence. Um, this movie uh, was absolutely outstanding. I honestly don't want to say too much about it because I think because of the way it's, it's portrayal of the, um, the effect that uh, colonialism had on the indigenous people of this country. I think it should be required viewing for anyone who calls this place home. Um, with the caveat that, yes, there is some very intense and unflinching depictions of sexual assault um, that may not um, be for a lot of people. But um, I will say that's absolutely not gratuitous or um, graphic. It's just very intense. Um, otherwise, everything else the film has on its mind is um, outstanding, just really amazing. I've got to check it, this out. It kind of floored me by the time I walked out. That's really cool to hear mm. because I did a bit of reading about this because it was a big deal at the Ritz, you know, the local cinema we all all go to. And, um, you know, the premiere, as you said, people were shouting in the cinema. People were like 
very, very physically emotional, you know, physical responses mm. from from mm. the film. And the director, you know, the director's response was, "This isn't a sugar-coated depiction. This is this is reality. I'm really trying to showcase a point in time." And the you know the 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 obstacles and the things women had to navigate, mm. you know, it, it's it seems like you know she was really just trying to tell an authentic story. It's really terrifying. I I didn't say it's it's set in Tasmania, um, many years ago. I mean, that's <laughs> <Not> being <laughs> in Tasmania. It's terrifying. We're enough. testing your history. Shout out to our boy Dan, who's living there. <laughs> uh. Good luck, good on you. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's not like that anymore. Van Diemen's Land. Uh, basically, a, a woman, uh, a convict. She's working for British soldiers, and they uh, end up uh, killing her family. And she just goes on a revenge mission. It feels like kind of a. It feels like the setup to an like an exploitation revenge film, um, but it is so so much more. Um, and I really can't recommend it enough. As a follow up to the Babadook, how do you feel? Um, it's a very different film. There are clear glimpses of the woman who directed that spectacular horror movie in there. It's not a horror movie at all, but there are some dream sequences and stuff that kind of remind you. Um, but yeah, very different film, which just makes me so excited to see where she goes from here. That's what I was kind of sort of alluding to. Mm. Like, does that variety make you more excited? Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, I really I want to see her go back to horror though because I love the Bubba Dog. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Can't wait to check that out. Yeah, cool. That's me. Connor. Cool. What have you been viewing? Um, I realized that I didn't talk about one that I, I had forgotten that I had watched a while ago, so I thought I might, might as well mention that. And that was um, The Green Book, um, which was Viggo Mortensen and... Mahershala um, Ali. Mahershala Ali. Um, both really fantastic actors. Both, I feel, um, well, more, more so Viggo, tend to really pick the roles that they go for. Um, I mean, Viggo Mortensen is... Naya, like he's pretty much a recluse um, when it comes to w- what he comes out for. Um, I thought they were both really good in this. Um, and it, this this movie is really showcased by their performances. Um, you know, the um, they both played these characters without making a caricature of them. And it was fairly close. Like they were, they were walking a fairly fine line because they Especially both- Especially Vega. <laughs> Yeah, because they both had like he, hey, he's, give me a fucking the calzone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you um, see this? I've seen bits of it. Yeah, yeah. He, he is very much that kind of like <laughs> there. He teeters on the unauthentic, almost kind of like character of the you know Italian man in New York or New Jersey <laughs> or something like that. Um, I think he reined it in just enough to like get by on Make that. Make a human. Um, but uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, Mahershala Ali uh, was, I think, really good. It's hard to tell because his character was so stoic mm. that it's it's more in the scenes where he doesn't react or he subtly reacts that you find the kind of, I guess, the mastery in that as opposed to, um, you know, because you can't really showcase this really big range with that character. Um but yeah, overall, I thought it was a it was a really good film. Um, I watched that um, don't know YouTube I... channel, the Hollywood Hollywood Roundtable, and yep. they do sort of directors ones. They had an acting one, and they were on it, 
and they were sitting opposite each other. And honestly, it felt like these dudes were going to get up, walk over to each other and start hooking up. They were like, <laughs> but Vigo, man, Vigo, he was so amazing to work with. Mahershala, I, I just, oh man, I, can't, I was in the presence of just a master. And they were just like, they were just like clearly like, I, I'm, having a, I'm having a laugh here, but they were clearly very, very um, thankful to work with each yeah, other and they enjoyed each, each other. other. <laughs> yeah, but it was just like, it was so funny. They weren't even having like that sort of playful banter. It was just yeah. all like, oh, Unbelievable praise. Yeah. yeah. You know? So, any, anything else, Connor, on the um, viewing list? I've been. I, I chucked on. Um, I find it really hard to to. I either. I chucked on a really bad series on Netflix. I was trying to justify it, but <laughs> and it was called Peaky Blinders. I, I knew it was. Really, no, Peaky Blinders is really good. Yeah, I'm kidding. Um, excited Just for season five. Gag. Um, no, I chucked on Wu Assassin. Um, and there was a couple of things that that made me think that this would be worth my time, which is Eco Wise. Sorry, Eco Wise, the guy from the raid, isn't that? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, so the choreography and what I saw seemed to be pretty good. Um, I like martial arts films. Um, you know, I was uh, I had a big kind of obsession with the Wire Fu um, movies that came out kind of around the time of. Um, uh, Crouching Tiger. Crouching Tiger and uh, like House of a Fly- House of a Thousand Daggers, I think it's called. House of Flying Daggers? That's something like that. House of Corpses. Um, and yeah. <laughs> I can't remember flowers. names to save my life. It's it's honestly <laughs> embarrassing. Um, but uh, so yeah, I chucked it on and, and it was kind of almost everything that you would expect it to be. The plot is very contrived. The acting is... Sort of acceptable. Um, but, but what you're going in for the action. Special but you're effects? In, no, no, special effects are horrendous. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, bad. Okay. Like, almost to the point where it's laughable. If I mm. wasn't watching this alone, it would be great because I could <laughs> laugh with someone about, yeah. like, how bad this is. But if I'm just, like, just like in my living room watching this, I'm like... Start laughing with your lamp. Oh. I'm wasting my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, the action I thought was really good. Um, it's probably not worth the amount of acting and special effects and all that in between. And like the plot has enough of a hook to kind of keep you, you know, involved, sort of. But overall, probably not worth the action that you get. Did you clock the whole season? No. Cool. I'm kind of, I'm weirdly, I'm a bit of a completionist when it comes to that kind of thing. Um, but this time? We'll see. I'm, I, I kind of don't want to ask this. Have you watched the Raid movies? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, I haven't seen Raid 2. <laughs> Sorry? I haven't seen Raid 2. What was that one we watched earlier this year with that, yeah, that one guy? That was killer. That was a cool movie. We, we don't the, know. The what amount it is, of bodies we? now. Yeah. The body count the one was so huge. It's like much gorier Raid. Uh, yeah. Oh. That was awesome. Mm. I really love that. Pity, pity we can't remember the name. We'll edit yeah. it in. <laughs> we'll never we won't. George, quickly we'll open your know. mouth and then, like, when, <laughs> when we figure it out later, <laughs> it might line up. Um, yeah, so. I wouldn't recommend. (laughs) (laughs) Wait until next week where I say I finished Wu Assassin. (laughs) (laughs) Really, really went up. (laughs) Yeah. On it, but actually, I will recommend if you've got some friends to watch this with, if you're popular and like me, um, uh, and you want to have a laugh at really, really bad special effects, go for it. Nice. Anything else? No, that's it. I didn't watch too much this week, other than started up the Dark Crystal. 
Oh, you did. Awesome. Which um, I, I'm glad you kind of prepared me for the amount of exposition in that first episode because yeah. yep. it was kind of dragging it down mm. a bit for me. Particularly if you had seen the mm. the movie. So the um, it's just just beautiful to watch. Mm. I'm really really enjoying the the world building. It, it, it's 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 something that I I'm. I had to actually kind of rewire my brain a little bit to watch these puppets. Mm. It was kind of like, I'm, I I love this, but I'm not watching CG. I'm not watching mm. people. You can almost see the hand up there. Yeah. You so, have to binge this, I think. Because if you go from this to watching something else, your brain will get out of puppet mode. Reset. <laughs> Just like binge this. It's quite interesting. So now I think I'm getting more into puppet mode and um, I, I anticipate that from what you guys have told, what you've said, Connor, is that the the characters and whatnot and, and the sort of Game of Thrones dynamics start to kick in yep. rather than sort of really exposition heavy, which I did actually find a bit laborious in the first episode. It is. And it, like, it, it's, it's also, it's laborious in, in terms of the amount that there is, but also I think in the execution, it wasn't, wasn't really well done. It wasn't sort of um, done in a creative yeah. or uh, I- I- new way. Yeah. And look, that's not going to go away entirely. It's not going to be as heavy as the first episode or two, you know, because they're obviously they have to introduce this world, they have to introduce different cultures and all that kind of stuff. But it, you know, it never quite gets there with the script. I think in terms of being able to do just effective. Mm-hmm you know, nuanced Elegance, exposition. Elegant, yeah. Yeah. That's a tough thing for like any movie or, or um, uh, TV series to pull off. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Have you watched any more of the Dark Crystal Band? No. <laughs> Did you hey, just watch uh, episode one? Mm. Cool. How about you? I've finished episode one. Very good. Yeah. Let's see how we go. It's like an hour and a minute long, so that's well done. Well done. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I achieved a thing. Mm. That's it. That's it. Shall we talk some news? Let's do it. Um, Movie and or streaming news. I, I respect our fans. I'm not going to lie to them. It's not the biggest week for news. No. <laughs> but we'll, You're not going to pull a the George show and will just go be like on. really enthusiastic. Massive like, week. Yeah. I let him do I'm it at the, the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like. I'm always just, you know, I got to. You got to sell it. You got to sell it. Yeah. it, man. Yeah. But Oversell, under delivery. I think we should, should uh, in story two. Go on a few little tangents because uh, well we, 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 we will do. Do not worry. Yeah. We have um, to, so otherwise we'll have a show. Up, <laughs> first up, we'll revisit the ongoing uh, Spider-Man story. Uh, not all that ongoing at the, from the looks of things. Tony Vincicuera, chairman and CEO of Sony Pictures, um, talking about the end of their partnership with Marvel Studios. We have a quote: "For the moment, the door is closed." Um, so that's pretty final. Obviously, says for the moment. So there's, I don't know, maybe there's yeah, a window ajar. That doesn't ajar, sound final at all, to be honest. No, but I mean, he's saying like we're not talking about it right now. Like yeah. this is we're not gonna kind of like it. It feels like maybe we are gonna get a couple movies before anything goes um, back. moves back. Yeah. Um, I hope Marvel just says no if they want to move back. <laughs> really? How yeah, many times is Sony gonna? Yeah, I know. I'm kind of that person. Mm. <laughs> um. Honestly, but you how couldn't many say times... that looking in Tom Holland's eyes. Come on. No, you couldn't. <laughs> um, how many times is Sony going to make this mistake? Um, I mean, they have consistently got this wrong, like at almost every step. And where they have found real success, at least since the first two Tobey Maguire or the Sam Raimi films, um, the only success they've really had is in partnership with Marvel. 
I don't think that's true at all. Um, no offense. Sorry, that was very aggressive. Um, no, I, actually, just, I, the more I think about it, the more... I, like, I yeah. can see why they're emboldened. They had a ridiculous financial hit with Venom, and they had an amazing critical hit with Spider-Verse. So I can see why they would be feeling oh, okay, like yeah, we so. can kind of take the reins here without without Feige. But they've always been better with animation than they have with live action. I was kind of keeping that to live action. Fair enough. But just talking about Spider-Man properties, yeah, um, I, I can see where they're coming from. And I'm really, I'm really not yet. Like if they do keep the writers and John Watts on, I don't see any reason that they can't make a, a wonderful Spider-Man 3 in this series. I think that there's too much in the way of, I mean... Tom Holland's Spider-Man was so heavily integrated into the MCU. Um, I think it was going to be very jarring. So I think you're going to have people, uh, a set of people that aren't going to watch it out of spite. Um, <laughs> and they, they're out there. Like, I mean, there's people, you and five other people. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, Tom. I mean, there's a lot sorry. of people that try and, and you know, um, w- w- won't watch it just out of that kind yeah. of That's not my issue. Spider-Man. Yeah, exactly right. You know, I saw a hashtag the other day for Justice for Mary Jane, and I spent a good half an hour trying to figure out what the hell we were talking about. Anyways. Weed, right? Sorry? Weed? <laughs> yeah. Legalize it. <laughs> um, uh, He's just like, oh. <laughs> no, 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 it was very speci- no, 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 it was very specifically on a comment about <laughs> just Spider-Man. Like, you know that Russell Crowe, um, A Beautiful Mind gif? Yeah. No, it was on a, like, a, they were talking about how the Mary Jane character had been, like, destroyed or something. And I was like, I don't get it. Um, anyways, the what were we talking about? Uh, Spider-Man 3. No, they can make a good Spider-Man 3. I, I, I agree oh, with you, yeah. Benny. My concern is more... The steps that they'll take to integrate Spider-Man with Venom, Morbius, the Living Vampire, Craven the Craven. Motherfucker. <laughs> motherfucker. And then when we're in 2023, 2025, mm. when they reassemble and do Venom and whatnot go into the MCU, mm. then like then uh, that's what makes me nervous. So it's like I'm thinking like way too many steps ahead. Well, this no, no, might, this pathway not. might not even, you know, it might not ever materialize. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think you are thinking too many steps ahead because they have to make a really... Sony has to make a decision now, which is that if they make just a couple of Tom Holland, uh, Spider-Man, I was going to say Superman, Spider-Man films, let's say even like, let's say they get two out and let's say that they're successful. They still have a really big bargaining chip on getting um, a deal with Marvel. If they integrate, integrate heavily into the sunk, then they are burdening Spider-Man with while yes, it was a financial success, it was a middling critical success or middling critical reviews, however you want to say it. And so they're going to burden uh, Spider-Man with all these other properties that are probably not going to be done in a way that is, um, I guess, conducive with the MCU. And at what point does that muddy the waters enough that when they go back to Marvel, Marvel's like, eh. Nah. Well, then Marvel's going to go off and do their own thing as well. They have to account for the fact that Spider-Man is not in that universe. They're just going to go. They, they have to make. There was a huge cliffhanger. Yeah, and they're, they're, they're but that, was in, that was in a Spider-Man totally, movie, though. Totally. I don't think that's going to affect the MCU. No, no, and it will not, and it won't be it a problem is, at it all. Is the, it it is won't the be a MCU. problem at all. I mean, they literally called. Um, they're kind of lucky that it wasn't more of integrated. You know, it's like it is. Well, I mean, it's not. You, know, you could just take it off. You know, Spider-Man goes off on his own pathway. I, I, think, and I think they could so easily never mention Peter again, and it's, this is not going to be an issue. Yeah, I, I Tony, totally Tony's agree. dead. He was, totally he was the only connection. There's been heaps of those. Kind I of feel things like that there's like I mean, that's kind of treating your audience on like paper, an idiot. I think it. I think on paper, it's 
you know, it, it, it's it's sort of like oh, Spider-Man's never going to get mentioned again. But in execution, we get six movies a year, fourteen TV shows. You forget about it in a week. Mm. Um, what I do think you've got an interesting point there, Connor. Though is something I've been thinking about is the sunk has kind of been positioned as the dark version of the MCU. You know, you got you got venom sort of grungy gritty he's got a chip on his shoulder and he's he kind of you know he's, he eats heads and then you've got Morbius the living vampire coming up you know how does spider-man work into that because really sony should be looking at positioning the sunk more like a marvel and mcu mm. it's got to be family friendly it's got to be lighter in tone it's got to have that teeny kind of vibe in it it's got to have that far from home kind of vibe in it yeah. they've got to really put a lot of effort into steering the ship in the right direction because spider-man could very quickly become more like a daredevil netflix kind of the grungy thing and that doesn't fit in with what tom holland brings to the table mm. they they have to be very 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 careful about what tone um how integrated it all is um yeah there, there's a lot of movements in there that need to happen for this to to, to make yeah. to, to work i'm yeah i'm very interested to see how this all works together um I mean, definitely it's <laughs> i i would i would love to see sony do some do some shit right for once but um but see i, you know, I history's just... history's shown us if if they're going to continue they on do. with Spider-Man, I would almost rather them ditch the Tom Holland Spider-Man altogether and just start again. That's crazy to me. No, oh, no it is. It's crazy in the sense that I absolutely love the Tom Holland Spider-Man. He's so spiteful. He's, he's no, no. This is this has nothing to do with with spite in, in that sense. Like it has everything to do with you like the, things to the, fit together. Yes, and you I, like watertight. Like well thought, like, you know what you like. Doesn't you like well building, and you like things yeah. to feel lived in and real and authentic. And bringing yes. him out with all these licensing things, it feels too convenient. It feels too exactly. lawyer heavy. Yeah. It, it's it brings it. It makes it too well, meta. It, just, it, it 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 completely. I think it will um, retroactively make the um, previous Spider-Man films feel less complete or feel less authentic i think it will going forward you're always going to look at tom holland in the sump and think that he doesn't belong there yeah. i mean like it's just it muddies the water so much as it is even if they do the cleanest cut that they possibly can what if they do the dirtiest cut and the next movie involves very early on like some multiverse shenanigans and he they literally send him to the sump would like would would that be would no, you like that better? No, because that that that's that's what, just what if treating... they tie it in with Spider Verse, the animated film, oh, and like do it that way? Possibly. <laughs> I mean, again, you're you're still you're you're just. I feel like when you watch that, you're gonna know. Part of your brain is gonna know that the the only reason that this is happening, it's not because it makes sense in the plot. It's not because any of that. They just needed a way to 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 do something. Totally. Yeah. And that, I don't know. I would rather them. If if they're so confident in their ability to make a Spider-Man film, start from scratch. Mm. Actually, make make your own Spider-Man film. It worked one out of you know they've got a fifty percent hit rate in terms of Spider-Man. Marvel really should have brought that up at the meeting when they were discussing the terms of this thing because they would yeah. have been like, "We can take this from here." And they're like, "All right, you're so confident. Why you start again?" They'd be like, "No, <laughs> no. <laughs> we don't want to do that." But that's no, my point. No, like, no, I no. just I feel like, and this is. This is always my struggle with reboots, with with um, uh, you know sequels, with all that kind of stuff. I sometimes feel as though just just start anew, mm. make make a clean break, clean cut, 
do a new thing. Mm. Yeah, all, all of this um, behind-the-scenes stuff was so unfortunate, um, and it's sad to see the series get caught up in all this um, egotistical Lego, Lego yeah. mumbo-jumbo. But um, I really I stand by the fact that I, I love this Spider-Man, this series, mm. and I really want to see him keep going forward with it. Um, and I guess I just want to say optimistic at this point. I hope they can make something worthwhile. I just I still hope that they're they're someone's going to call someone's bluff and they get them back in the MCU. That's I mean that's ultimately before any big mistakes are made. Yeah. Alrighty. Next up, it chapter two has opened to a ninety one million dollar three day weekend in the states. This is the second best opening in the month of September ever. Also the second best opening for a horror movie ever. Falling only behind in both cases, it's uh, chapter one, that is, $123 million opening. And globally, it's up to $185 million on a uh, 60. $60 to $80 million budget, so it's fantastic for them. Good business. Um, still a big drop from the first one. Yeah, that's... Um, um, which could be due to any number of factors, including the, the reviews being very mediocre. middling, the, um, the word of mouth not being great. I think this the, is going to gas out a lot faster because the... the first one was of, a phenomenon. The word of mouth, the amount of buzz there was around that film, that just kept it buoyant and kept it going. Mm. This one's going to probably have a much sharper drop-off. Oh, definitely. Yeah, but yep. either way, it's, it's doing unbelievably it well should for a horror make, film it should hit half a billion it should hit that 500 million dollar mark definitely should. so this is a, a question that got asked after we stopped recording last week which is that do we think that this will be a failure financial failure and the um criteria that i think one of you mentioned was that if it doesn't make as much as the previous film then you it's, don't know which of us is which do you I just can't remember who says what. Um, We're just you, both sitting here both looking at you. So like. little to me. <laughs> um, the Let's consolidate us yeah. into one, one entity. <laughs> Geo Ben, I'm you know, so angry like, at that blob over there you, right now. You cross your eyes and you can just see like it, it just, just kind of morphs together. Like, gluttonous, fucking horrible, horrible creature. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, no, don't don't be silly. It. <laughs> you both have very distinct characteristics in which I dislike in both of you. So <laughs> I definitely know that you're different. Um, we actually uh, we got it's a, just like a tall white dude. Yeah, brunette. yeah. <laughs> Same shit. Same bullshit. We actually got it. a we I got a it. while I was thinking about it, we got a question on uh, one of the YouTube channels um, last week, and someone asked us. Uh, do you and me genuinely hate each other? Yeah. And I, and, and I thought was, we were really nice. Yeah, that I was like, that was one of the nicest we've been to each yeah. other. Like, did we give all, how did that convey a vibe of us hating each other? So to answer that question, yes. I, I said we preferred, like, I think it was like a deep-seated loathing. Or <laughs> where did that come I, I, I need to rewatch that because I need to see, like, I where I watched it was. a bit of it and I wasn't sure. Where, where did he pick I that up I think we from? might have just, like, disagreed with each You've other. You've learned to deflect the sniping so well yeah. now. It, it bounces off you. Um, yeah, and I'm surprised that it, it ended up being me and George that <laughs> I, I could have sworn it would be me and you, Ben. Um, absolutely. Sorry. Anyways, we were uh, talking so, about. Yeah, what I asked was, um, do you think this will be a success to yeah, any yeah. anywhere near the same degree as the first one? I mean, 185 million is great. But you, but already. the criteria specifically was, will it make more than the original? And I think, well, we can, yeah, what I put forward is, will it be considered a success if it doesn't do as well as the it's original? It's already not a success. It's flagging well behind. Yeah. Like, obviously, a fantastic opening, but that's a 30 million drop off. That's pretty huge. It was yeah. always going to be tough to beat the first one. Mm. But um, there's a novelty factor to it. There's 
there was a lot of different things and there's a lot of things working against it chapter two mm. particularly just as a piece of work that is it's it's just shouldn't do as well as the first one like mm. that's yeah like the market dictates you know a lot of things and the market is you know it should not earn as much it's not as good a film but that's not really the way things work that's definitely not the way things yeah. work <laughs> Yeah, now now Georgie, you've you've been thinking about this movie a lot. I've been thinking you? about this movie a lot. Mm. Um because I've been kind of really bummed out on it chapter two. Talk to us. I was thinking <laughs> about um a very distinct moment I had in the cinema in it chapter one and just thinking to myself, Holy fuck, man, this is a killer this is Stephen a real King deal. adaptation. Like this is a really great movie. And I and then comparing that to a point in it chapter two, me being like oh i'm not enjoying this <laughs> mm, and um, three minutes in <laughs> yeah i watched the red letter media review and jay brought up something really interesting he said it chapter two is almost like makes it chapter one redundant let yeah. me finish here in yeah. the fact that you get all the storytelling same shit with the kids mm. pretty much the bullet points are the same mm. They all go on their own little adventure. They have their own little encounter. The adults have the same, like, this is essentially, like, undermining the first one. And that's so, that's such a missed opportunity, man. Very disappointing. Um, so that that was quite interesting. And I, I, I cannot shake the feeling that they, there's some producer got involved here and said, man, the Losers Club, the kids, it's all about the kids. We've got to bring in the kids. You know, we've See, got to make it more about the kids. And then, you know, Gary Dauberman, who had to do this script, had to create this tokens and... Ah. Not to mention the fact that it's very well established that what they did for the first movie, which is not how the book is structured, is they took... Because it's interwoven in the book. Yeah. yeah. So for the first movie, they took just the kids' story and made that, which is unanimously agreed upon to be the better part of the story. Mm-hmm. So they literally had to take the dregs and try and weave a movie out of it. They um, should have manhandled it a bit more, and yeah, probably I think, I think they should have bulldozed it. Yeah, I think they should have really taken have. some liberties with the source material. Mm. Now, I'm saying that as someone that hasn't actually read the source material, I haven't either. Um, and this is all coming from from secondhand, and um, and I'm not going to read the source material. <laughs> <laughs> 1,100 uh, pages, I think. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, for me, I, I don't think it's fair to to lay it all at the. Um, the directors or the writers' feet, but I think some of that has to lay at their feet. Like, I mean, ultimately, I'd actually lay the blame it on the producers more. I feel like it feels like a producer. It doesn't to me though. Decision. This feels like a storytelling. Um, uh, I think this this feels like someone who's trying to tell a story that doesn't want to. Um, uh, that doesn't want to 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 kind of rely or take the risk of people having seen the first one. And potentially and, believes the hype of the first one a little bit. Yeah, and I will give you the reason wh- why I think that this is more to do with writers slash directors is that I don't think that that last scene, that to me, feels like um, feels like the director did that. Machetti. I almost feel like the complete opposite. It feels like the producer, like somebody really trying to inflate these kids. And at any rate, that there's that that final that that section of the last scene that is a very distinct change. And if that was a decision made by the director, and I'm assuming that it was, then it doesn't, it, it makes sense to me the other changes that the director made. Because 
it all just kind of feels like the same thing. He didn't have the confidence to, to, you know, tell his own story in the right ways. It felt very much like it was pandering to an audience that, you know, this, yeah, to me, this just feels like a director that's scared that his second or his follow-up movie isn't going to be as good as the first. So let's just take the stuff from the first that made it good. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, shove it in. Potentially. Also, there's the um, the little caveat that um, the first movie was to some degree built upon the original script by Kari Fukunaga, um, who was going to direct the film yeah. Once Upon a Time. Um, this was And who was a huge talent. So that might have bled into it a little bit. Who can say? Um, not not to you know denigrate the. There's the, a lot of speculation. There's you, you know, that, and it's yeah. kind of fun to think yeah. about these different things. Mm. Um, what do you guys think about the prospect of an It Chapter Three? Because Andy Muschietti has said you know there's a wealth of source material in that book to pad out a prequel. Mm. Is that something you guys are interested in? Well, Bill Skarsgård has has weighed in on this as well. He'd said if this like the story is kind of there to tell, and if they could pull something together. Um, and when I saw the headlines for this, I was like, no, go away, shut up. Um, but when I actually read what they were talking about, which is a prequel of sorts, I became a little bit more interested because yep. there is a lot of material there. And one of the best scenes um, from these two movies, I think, isn't actually in the movies. It's a deleted scene that is, hasn't actually been released yet, but there, there is a still image from it of this kind of proto-Pennywise from the 1600s. Um, and the scene is um, him... They're in like a cave or something. This this woman has a baby and it's him threatening her that he'll come and eat all of her children, all of her children as well, if she doesn't just give him that one. And she has to just lay the child down and leave. And just the, the image of this before he took on this clown pos- persona, I'm, I'm so fascinated by yeah. it. And I kind of would be interested to see what they could do with that because um, chapter two did not leave me satisfied. Yeah. So. I think they could strip back a lot of the stuff and bring that can kind of into, you know... I'm trying to think of a, a good example. I think just like strip back a lot of the fanfare of the movie, bring it to kind of more a naturalistic horror film. Mm. Um, and I think that could be really effective. Reading that scene, I was immediately reminded of, no offense, Connor, the, the witch. And I'm like, man, no, seeing something like that with, with an entity as charismatic as Pennywise yes. would be very interesting. 100%. I mean, mm. if um, – I, I do appreciate all these caveats of no offense. <laughs> um, but I don't want to set you off. Yeah. <laughs> the, the witch. No, I, 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 no, I 100% agree that that kind of naturalistic setting of the witch um, that feels very kind of just... The way that I think about the witch in terms of the setting is like you can hear every leaf that a, a character steps on. Like mm-hmm. it just... The, the setting feels like a character in and of itself. And I mm-hmm. think that you could really capitalize that on with this like bring it back to back kind of the first nations time or or like um you know early settlers stuff like that the stuff that you know is very naturalistic and and sorry just quickly and and tell more of the story of and the character of Derry and how poisoned that place is there's this great scene i was reading about in the book about an axe murderer in a bar just chopping people to bits while everyone just sat there and ignored it and kept drinking their drinks as if they had no idea it was even happening i'm like that is amazing that sounds dope, but I, I part of me says, you know, I I love this kind of stuff. Like, but when you think about it, if they can't nail chapter two, mm. you know, is there really enough stuff in there to draw out a chapter three? And you know, the classic example is is parts of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. You know, the sidekick becomes the main character, and it all falls apart. Bring does does 
you know, your favorite good, one. Very your good favorite example, one, George. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your yeah. favorite. You know, like bringing Pennywise and making him, you know, the three orbs of Pennywise. <clears throat> yeah. Is that an interesting thing to examine? You know, or, or, that's not that's not what I would want out of it, though. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't want him to be the main character or anything. Well, they would have to really think about that, mm. and they would have to really nut out a great story because. And, um, I'm not convinced. Yeah, I, I would want it more as an apology for chapter two. Yeah. Like, like blank slate. Yeah, let's kind of try move again. Back. Um, oh, because me too. It's and one of those things. Like we talked about a story recently. Like I can't remember what it was. Uh, maybe it was the Matrix Four. I was like, like they've already fucked it up. Who cares? Like let them make another one. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, this, it's not like this is a, they're batting a thousand. And they yeah. could, if they're all just one more, no, story. don't do one more. Yeah, exactly. Like Toy Story. Yeah. Like, no, just leave it as it is. It's perfect. It's not perfect anymore. It's, it's, it's 50, 50. So whatever. Go I hope I watch it again and go, it's chapter two. It's amazing. What was I thinking? Or I think, I, I, I do think I would really like to grab um, a rip of it and, and have a play with, around with it in, in Final Cut. Cause let's get rid of those scenes with the yeah, kitties. Snip, snip, snip. And just uh, smooth it out with some deleted scenes. Any more thoughts on it? No. <laughs> I just I thought this was going to be in my top 10 of the year for sure. Really? And uh, First one was well up there. It's not going to be there. That's really sad. I think it's not I, going to be I, there. I You're actually, crying, George. <laughs> I feel really <laughs> no, bad not. for you because it didn't make my top 10 last year. I don't think it made my top 10 last year. Um, 2017. Didn't make my top 10 last year. <laughs> um, 2017. <laughs> um, and it didn't. Got him. <laughs> and it, I didn't think that it was really going to make my top 10 this year. So I never really yeah. had that high, of, that high of hopes. I hyped it up, man. Yeah. And you... You fucking hyped it up. Hey. And you told me it's your most never, anticipated of the year. I never thought it was going to be good at all. You, what take, are you, you take it so much better than I do, man. I, he's I've, crying on the inside. No, he's. I mean, after Men in Black, he's actually just broken. Yeah. Of, of all of the painful indignities visited upon me this month, this was in the middle somewhere. So I'm not. I'm not too demolished by it. Uh, alrighty. Next up. Uh, Haley Steinfeld has been cast as Kate Bishop in Marvel and Disney Plus's Hawkeye series. Boing. So we all. What was that? <laughs> Boing! Is that is that what a bow and arrow does? That is. It's... That'll be great for the people just listening. At yeah, home. I was gonna say that sounded a lot weirder. Can you please do a video, uh, an edit of like the last battle in Avengers. That's just when every every time he loses an boing. arrow, it's boing, boing. <laughs> then do brave. Um, Sorry, that's that's not the sound an arrow makes. No, uh, and I also wasn't looking at you, so all I heard was like Haley Steinfeld as um, hey, Bishop, yeah. and I, you just. Oh, you're just going, oh, <laughs> George, no. you're disgusting. Oh, no. <laughs> That's all I heard. You've done that to yourself. <laughs> I was like, well, this is not going to go play well on a podcast. Oh, dear. So, I'm glad you clarified that that was a yes, bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on. on swiftly. So, what do you think um, of Haley Steinfeld, George? She seems like a nice girl. <laughs> <laughs> with the, with so, what we've all assumed from the moment this series was announced that it would be adapting Matt Fraction's run of comics, we all assumed this, right? Oh, yeah, Matt yep, Fraction, yep. baby. That was exactly what I thought. Um, the Fraction, Faction! Which is uh, Clint Barton living in a rundown tenement building, uh, training the new Hawkeye, Kate Bishop. Um, the comic book version of Hawkeye differs a lot from the movie version. He doesn't have a family. Um, so be interesting to see how they're going to factor that in to him training this random girl um, to be another Hawkeye, especially Just since he was, already, he was already training his daughter. Just in, on the ranch, mm, man. Just on the ranch, yeah. <laughs> um, and and if it'll be, again. 
it's well, real fucked up. Yeah. Not again. Perhaps it'll be dealing with the fallout of um, Endgame, which was not addressed in that film at all, which is the five-year murder bender he went on as Ronan um, when, he, oh, when his family was dead. Interesting. So perhaps he'll be estranged from them to, yeah. in some degree, which would be much more interesting, I think, than him just slipping back into family life or after just, what we're told he became. Yeah. We didn't really see it necessarily. but um, Or he'll just realize that he parked the Quinjet where his family disappeared. <laughs> he's like, my family's alive! And he gets home and he's like, ah, oh, shit. It's ah. materialized into the walls <laughs> yeah. of the jet. Also, why did, his, why did his wife still have an active phone plan five years later? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, look, Endgame. that was one of uh, <laughs> Kate, Kate Bishop. Did you, did you just sign out with Endgame? <laughs> <laughs> Endgame. That's the, yeah, that's the excuse. Um, so this is clearly setting her up. We've got a new Black Widow on the way in this movie. We've got a new Hawkeye slipping in here, presumably to be... Introduced to the movies later on, which is really cool, and I think yep. they've cast an amazing actress. Um, True Grit, of course, was her uh, her debut at like twelve years old. Um, nominated for an Oscar, she was unbelievable. But she in that disappeared film. for a bit, and then disappeared. Has, has did resurged. A, became a bit of a pop star. Yep. Was in the um, the Pitch Perfect films, and one I watched uh, earlier this year, Edge of Seventeen, which was a, a really a really good um, kind of coming coming of age drama, and she was fantastic in it. So I'm, and whilst I'm Bumblebee hyped. wasn't great, she did. She was solid in it. She was terrific. Yeah. So I think this is all lining up to be quite an interesting series. Good addition, and it it um, seems like the pieces are slowly coming into play where they might have a young Avengers film on their hands, which um, I think is going to be an avenue they want to explore because sure. they they want to keep that Avengers name in play, um, and they're not going to have that original lineup to lean on. So I'm thinking they're heading towards maybe Dark Avengers and Young Avengers, which could be Bring it. could be very cool. Let's do it. Let's do it, Feig. Let's do it. <laughs> um, in in other Haley news, Haley Atwell has joined Mission Impossible Seven in an under in the undisclosed role. Mission Impossible Seven up to seven. Apparently, number six was the highest grossing in the franchise. I didn't realize that until earlier yeah, today. I'd believe that. Yeah, it was very hyped up. You got a lot of you know. There's so many articles about how this is the greatest action, action film movie. ever produced and, and in the past decade or whatever yeah, yeah which it wasn't you liked it a lot didn't you george i really did enjoy it yeah. i thought it was shot beautifully yes. it was yeah. it was was that hoyton van hoity <laughs> was it what <laughs> the cinematography um, works with chris Nolan. yeah i i, I, I yes. thought it was um really really well shot and there was some really great action in that but as i said the, the idea that that was the best action film of the last decade is name five better That's ones cards wallop <laughs> John Wick 1. Okay, okay fine. John Wick um, 2. No, it was Rob Hardy, <laughs> cinematography. Three. You lied to us. Cinematographer. You lied to us. Yeah, I did. Um, Hayley Atwell seems to be gaining more momentum now than she was right after she was in the Captain America film. She never shot up to Superstar. It no, surprised me. She was no. fantastic. But I'm that. seeing her That's name fun. in social media more. I'm seeing, I think, definitely the what if you know this this that what if episode that mm. they're going to bring where her character becomes Captain America, that seems to be propelling something. Mm. At least from what I'm seeing, I could be completely wrong there, but she she uh, you know it's just nice to see her in, in this series. That's it's probably going to be a, a billion dollar movie. You know, I hope I hope she scene. I hope she beefs up like crazy and gets a wicked mustache and gets those like shotgun arms. Yeah. <laughs> that that has become such an iconic like in my head for yeah. like those fucking yeah. It's like whenever you're gearing up to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> yeah. When I get to work in the morning, just <laughs> I was gonna say gearing up to talk to that. a girl that I'm like, oh no, you're an engagement. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Um no, I'm no longer allowed to talk to girls unfortunately. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Never. Yeah. 
so yeah, Mission Impossible time. Seven on the way. Those movies keep getting more and more hyped up and evidently financially successful. They've been declining in my regard since four. I liked four, and I've liked I've liked the others, but liked them less and less. Uh, next up, Joker has won the top prize at Venice, the Golden Lion. Uh, so there's it's been a, up. so much talk about this movie. I yeah. didn't really expect it to to get that accolade thrown at it. Oscar season, here we come. Yeah, well, the last two winners of that award are Roma and The Shape of Water. Well, there you go. So it's very, very high regard. Yeah. What's everyone feeling with uh, this news, I'm kind of sort of this amount of hype is dangerous. I'm yeah, starting I saying, to. Go, I'm going to be disappointed by this film. <laughs> yeah. I guarantee you. I'm kind of starting to repel a bit against yeah. the. You know, I'm like, ah, it's getting inflated. Is it just me or is it getting crazier out there? <laughs> it's a line from the film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought life was a tragedy. Um, then I this, realized this movie. Uh, yeah, I I said pretty much all I needed to say last week which this movie seems like the worst of um, marketing schemes. Like it just. Well, I got it. The PR team is doing a, an yeah. amazing job right now. And this, this feels like people that are, are running to praise this film, like just because that that's the flavor of the month. Like, I don't know what, what it is about this that puts such a bad taste in my mouth. Well, let's, think- let's make a pact then. Let's say fuck it to the advertising and all the marketing. And just not condemn it completely and let's really judge this movie on its own merits um, if, yeah. That's, yeah, if, no, that's a, if that's a possible thing. Well, I mean, I, I'm going to have to go into it willing to give it a chance. So I think if, if anything, we will balance each other out depending on how you guys land on it because I'm already having that. I think you're, you might be experiencing the same thing, George, which is this kind of like anti, don't tell me this is a good film. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like you got to prove yourself now. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. hyping it the fuck up. All right, let's see. Let's go to battle. Mm. Yeah. So I'm um, the when we watch this film, it's going to be with like a fair chunk of scrutiny. That's not far off, right? Not far off at all. No, October. Actually. Cool. Um, end of the screening in seventy millimeter. I am very excited for that. It's no, nuts. you're not, George. Can't believe that. No, you're not excited at all. You're just going to watch it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just love. Um, I like how it's coming back into vogue. Mm. Uh, you know. This film looks like it was shot digitally as well. That's, that's it's like everything about this movie is just meant to like tickle you totally. in that way. Like it's just, hey guys, it's film. And yeah, like these are all things that could have been done very they're authentically. Doing a, they're doing a really good job with it. But they're also things that it's I think people know. It's all bleeding into itself. You yeah. Know? It's interesting to see a, a comic book movie that's trying so hard, even harder than Logan, to target that like legitimate film mm. market. Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> and it's it, it nice is a, to see. It is it is cool. I like that they're doing that. It's also a little frustrating because it 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 feels so um, by the numbers in that regard in terms of being like a legitimate film. Yeah, um, and it's like it would be nice to see some some love thrown to listen. The fun we're making a lot well. of. We, let's see the film. Let's do the no, review. No, I'm boycotting it, and <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm very keen to see how this uh, works out. I I, I think. Like, it's got to be good, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be. I, no, I, just it, regardless of the hype, what I've said from the beginning, just um, Todd Todd Phillips. Uh, I liked War Dogs. War it's Dogs. good, and working with Wakeen, I mean, 
McCain, man. It's got all the ingredients for a good film, mm. and it has all the hype. Including the golden line. Including <laughs> the golden line. Mm. Um, so, yeah, like, I mean, this, I don't think this movie will be bad, mm. but it, the real question will be, does it deserve this much praise? Mm. What time is it? It's trailer, it trailer time. time. Goddamn. <laughs> what do we um, got? Number one, we have Dr. Sleep. Sleep. Whoa! <laughs> that was amazing. Um, <laughs> how did you know what he was going to um, say? <laughs> I can, can I predict how you felt about this trailer, George? Yes, you can. Oh, my God. They're showing all the stuff from The Shining. Oh, my, oh my God. Is that that's exactly what I did on the couch. <laughs> it's because I, I could feel your eyes rolling Square in the it. back of glug, your glug, head, glug, yeah. glug, glug, glug. <laughs> like a cartoon, like um, yeah. No, I go ahead. <laughs> I listen. I have. <laughs> well, I watch right. this. I watch this trailer, and I go. I really trust Mike Flanagan. <laughs> I really trust this guy because yeah. I hope the end product is better than this trailer. It's looking very Stephen King e. Mm. Uh, we've Is got that a small town. <laughs> we've, got usually. Those, we've got that crane, that Stephen King crane shot going, you know, across mm. the road. The weird energy vampires. Yeah, you know, st- le- le- you know, Stephen King is from what I haven't read. I don't think I've read a single Stephen King book. From what I've read and what I've heard and what I've seen over the years, being exposed to a lot of his adaptations, is he's really good at the setup. He's not so good at the ending. Mm. Brings a lot of interesting concepts to the table. The, you know, the cocaine binges of the 90s, things got a little bit crazy and the ending doesn't come quite together. So revisiting this concept of The Shining in Doctor Sleep, like does this story have enough, is there enough there to actually do something interesting? And the matter is complicated by the fact that it's a sequel to a movie that was barely an adaptation of his book in the first place. And um, is widely regarded as one of the the kind of the better cinematic pieces of the last hundred years. Totally. In and cinema history, I suppose. By all accounts that I've heard, the book Doctor Sleep isn't particularly good. Um, so how much of this is gonna be a complete rewrite to make it a sequel yeah. to the to, to that movie? How much of the book Doctor Sleep was a sequel to that movie? I mean, I, I don't think he likes yeah. that movie at all. No, he doesn't. Knows, yeah. I'll be honest, this movie didn't didn't stir any strong emotions either way for me. You know, I didn't find it egregious in any way, but I also didn't find it particularly captivating. Um, and the only, I guess, kind of silver lining to this is I really like Ian McGregor. He does. He can't quite nail the American accent, though, I feel. No. Never has been. Um, no. But so it's not a big deal, though. No, it's not. But I mean, like, it just I, I, I really like him as an actor. Um, and, uh, I am that, that in and of itself makes me want to check this out. That and Flanagan, obviously as a, as a director. I just have that much faith in Flanagan that he'll be able to wrestle with this and make it work. And there's not really been that many Mike Flanagan trailers that I've been very impressed by. You know, I don't think Haunting of Hill House, I was that I, I, maybe I'm remembering it wrong. I don't remember ever seeing a trailer for anything he's done. I've come so I've late seen to, Hush, to all of his I know, movies. That's got nothing on the actual end product. Yeah. Yeah. So there's one weird thing going on here where we're seeing so many familiar things, but you can kind of so clearly tell it's a set. Mm. And Mike Flanagan has this sort of green, greenish grade that he puts on his a lot of his films. And 
it just doesn't feel like it's properly connecting to The Shining for me. Let's see how the end product turns out. I'm surprised at how much of the Overlook was in this trailer. There was a lot more than the last one. I do like the concept of these, you know, the the expansion of The Shining, Mm. you know, these different groups. I think that's really cool. And there seemed to be some interesting imagery there with the eyes and the lights. I'm quite keen to explore that. The first one was so abstract in a lot of ways. It'll be interesting to see them actually address this world with psychics in it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Roll the dice on this one. If nothing else, it'll be better than Ready Player One. Which man also remade so, The Shining. Okay. Oh, right, yeah. I can I see like, why you would forget oh, yeah. that. I was trying to figure out what I was like. I just like, like to at any Spielberg, moment to say how like, bad uh, that movie is. <laughs> um, no, that's right. <laughs> which is actually one of the better parts of Ready Player One, which is saying something. Yeah. Um, next, we have Wrinkles the Clown cashing in on that scary clown hype. Um, Looking somewhat akin to that Slender Man movie. So this is a documentary yeah, um, about an actual guy who... Wrinkles the Clown. Wrinkles the Clown who... Um, As a service. People don't know his identity, but he's, yeah, he's a guy you can call up and invite to just be a terrifying clown. I, I really love the look of this. This looks great. It looks super over the top. Um, but a lot of fun. I love these, <clears throat> you know, these blending of reality and fiction. Mm. Well, it, it, that's that's the question, though, right? It, this is is this a pure documentary? It's slated as a documentary. I think they must be they must be playing around with some things. I but thought they're, they're, so. Yeah. There's, you know, there's some bending of the truth here. But I kind of love from the entertainment value for this kind of thing. I'm not going in for a documentary where I'm looking for really, you know, journalistic. Thorough, yeah. You know, I'm looking for an entertaining piece. I've, mm. I have been really digging in the last couple of years this blending of the documentary genre with um, things like comedy and drama and, and fourth wall breaking. Um, and, you know, that has been really evident in uh, one of my favorite uh, films of, I think it was last year, which was um, Animal, uh, American Animals. American Animals. Yep. Um, and as well as the, the big short is kind of on that it's a little bit more towards the narrative side but brings in aspects of um documentary making and i just i really dig that level of of entertainment um and so whenever this kind of thing comes up it kind of hooks me i I think like that's cool yeah it's great to see people kind of playing with the form a bit yeah let's see how it turns out looks like a really good netflix kind of chucking on yeah. One and done. Oh, yeah. Um, thirdly, we have Black Christmas, the Blumhouse horror film. This is a remake of a 1974 slasher. Um, it appears to be uh, interesting in the, the way that it's not, clearly not a direct remake because that original is, from what I understand, very much uh, just a slasher. Straight. And this Slashing. looks like like this seems to reveal most of what that movie would be about in the trailer. It sucks. <laughs> Which there was sucks. a point where they had a reveal, and I said, oh, nah, "You've you've you've really done a disservice here." Why would that be in the trailer? Yeah, but it looks like it does build beyond that original in in a huge way, which is kind of interesting, at least for a remake. This I, oh go ahead. here you go. I was gonna say this is probably one of the first times that Blumhouse has come up on the screen, and I've kind of gone. This feels like a template. Yeah, this, this Blumhouse is starting to feel like they they know that niche that they need to hit, and they've got a look and they've got a feel, 
and they're just going to start pumping shit out. And that worries me because when Bloomhouse was really firing, they were firing with some really cool, innovative stuff, particularly in the horror genre. And um, it feels more like a Blumhouse tilt. <laughs> no, I know exactly what you mean. Like, I, whenever I see that Blumhouse logo come up before a trailer, I go, "This like almost like a quality stamp of a you know mm. yeah. of approval." And uh, this trailer really did very little for me, and it was kind of disappointing. Um, maybe the end product will be different, um, but yeah, there was nothing in here that really was exciting for me. Yeah, I'm so not into slashes as it is, so um, I. It's hard for me to get interested. The one thing, there was a moment that seemed like it was flirting with something supernatural maybe, which is a little more interesting. But um, With the, the statue. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah, otherwise. But I, then, I and then it had the the, you had the cult and all that, and mm. it was like, okay, so I'm seeing that Carrie Elways is, you know, you know yeah. like, <laughs> like that's, no. that's, that's, a, that's a clearly a reveal in the film and an important reveal in the film. Mm. You haven't added anything to the trailer with that. Yeah. I think it's very poor decision making. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about that either. Yeah. Well, guys, we only had three trailers this week. So let's cap it off with question of the week. And here we've got one from our boy, Drew Torres. An interesting one. We were talking about Oscars before. What factors are taken into account with the best directing Oscar if behind the scenes footage isn't taken into account? What should be? What standards do you think are measured and what standards should be measured? Which is an interesting thing is like, you know, directors on set, you know, thinking about like how, what, how, what qualifies as best director? How do we actually assess that? Um, you know, we've all, we've always had this thing about the, the auteur, the directing auteur, but really that does, in my opinion, it doesn't really exist because filmmaking is such a collaborative field, you know, you know, maybe a painter, you know, you can say that because it's a one singular creative vision, but with directing and, and filmmaking, you've got so many departments, so many people involved, it ends up being a little touchstone of everyone. It does, but the, it, it is orchestrated by the director. I mean, you... When you watch a Nolan film, you can tell it's a Nolan film. When you watch a Villeneuve film, you can tell it's a Villeneuve film. If you watch a Tarantino film, you can tell it's a Tarantino film. Um, and that, I mean, they'll use different people. They'll, they'll use different cinematographers. They'll use different people for sound or for, for music. And ultimately, you know, they, they do have their standard guys that they yeah, those go guys to. Those guys in particular use a yeah, lot of the same say, people. But I mean, like, even people. They've got their people, stamp on it. Be, like, yeah. And the reason that I chose at least, like, um, you know, those guys is there are movies that they have used different people on particularly like cinema uh, um you know director of cinematography and stuff like that where they still feel very much their films so even if they're switching out people that are integral to their team i think that you can lay a lot of a movie at the at the feet of the director um and i just and just, to, just oh. like um uh in terms of like the the academy and um the the union and everything like you literally have to like as the director they do get all the credit for everything mm -hmm. so even if it's kind of tokenistic that is yeah how, how it works good or bad mm -hmm. um i just wanted to so he, with the question of the week they said what fa factors or he said what factors are taken into account um how deep are your pockets that's pretty much i think how Sorry, what was that? The, well, the question is, how is it taken into account? Or sorry, what is taken into account? Like, what is actually looked at with best director? I would argue that a lot of it is is simple. It's politics and and money. And yeah, I know it's, that's it's a very the, cynical. It's the marketing. That's how the Academy Awards work. Um, but and and to take it to take it back a step, 
the the best director nominations are pretty much always completely in line with the best film nominations. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> as we've as we've discussed um, exhaustively in the past, with no one in the academy knowing the difference between what sound mixing and sound editing or whatever it is, um, I think as well when people are nominating a best director, they're just going to pick their favorite movies. Yeah. Um, because for better or worse, the factors that go into that decision are, you know, what movie did I like the most? Yeah. But in terms of if 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 we were just to if we were in charge of picking who was best director, which we would, should be, and and yeah, we definitely should be. Mm-hmm. But what would your criteria be? What do you what do you think should be taken into consideration for that? I think Drew makes a great point with the behind the scenes footage because I remember watching behind the scenes footage of uh, District Nine, um, and watching Neil Blomkamp kind of work behind the camera it was really amazing to see a first time director have that much control and that much foresight into what yeah. he needed to do on set to make the job work later in post-production. Um, so that that's something I think that should be. Yeah, I mean, everyone has their own process. You know, they've even been, through, I've heard, you know, some people criticize people, Chris Nolan for not having a monitor. You know, he doesn't look at a monitor when he's on set. He's literally standing next to the camera and looking at the scene and the actors there and then. Whilst a guy like Ridley Scott is literally looking at, four screens in a booth mm. um, looking at all the different angles and analyzing like that more end thing. So like, Whilst a guy like uh, James Cameron is in a virtual world exactly, <laughs> watching the, the exactly. film play out. So I, I can't, you know, do you... Do He's you, actually plugged in. You know, can do you, are you judging them on their ability to, um, you know, get a set going? I don't think so. It's an interesting, it's an interesting idea and it's interesting to see people in their element, but... Just, just quickly, the 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 in Wikipedia, the, I'm just googling Academy Award for Best Director. It is given in honor of a film director who has exhibited outstanding directing whilst working in the film industry. So, I mean, the criteria is so broad. Mm. Um, as we said, you have to be mingling with the the players to make sure your name is in the ring. But um, yeah, like as we something that's really interesting has happened since we started the podcast, and I feel like I've got a much better handle of criticizing film and diagnosing each individual section. You know, set design versus um, you know, uh, you know, design versus execution. You know, maybe a CG animal looks um, really really Doesn't designed look well but it is designed well but it doesn't the execution yeah. isn't great so in terms of directing i feel like i can now sort of see hey this is a really ordinary cafe scene but the way it's been directed and sculpted it, it, and not editing not talking about editing but just like the direction of the actors on set plus the editing all these different things combined together mm. ah that was directed in an interesting and different way uh, i'm not really giving any concrete things here but there is definitely some X factor that you get from a certain director having a really interesting spin or an interesting take on things. That's a good point because it is X factor because there's not really a facet of the film that you can't attribute to one other person who's done it. Like you just mentioned actors and, you know, the way it's shot and stuff. So you could credit that to the people doing that firsthand um, or it could definitely be, I mean, you do, you do notice when it's really synthesized in such a way. It's like, yeah, that person... Um, like the director is clearly in charge. Yeah, yeah. And, and there are there are examples where people have talked about like you can see that the director has everything in their head and they're they're mm. orchestrating everything and you know that's a lot of information that to to kind of be playing out in one mind. Um, but yeah, I, I I 
agree with something that Drew said, and I think that you mentioned this as well, Ben, which is that um, the behind-the-scenes footage should be taken into account because you could have a director that is able to do something in five minutes that maybe another director had to do for 20 hours, and the the out, the out the end result might be the same, but there's certainly something special about someone that's able to just do it instinctively and, and well. It's but, also, I think, treated as a bit of a lifetime achievement achievement award a lot of the time because that description you just gave from wikipedia as well was a bit nebulous it's like yeah outstanding achievement in directing yeah stuff yeah whenever. what does that mean like so what standards do you think are measured and what standards should be measured you know how, how like what I, is the difference yeah. between if, if the director what is, is measured how deep is your pocket yeah uh, what yeah. should be measured i think is uh, you know well, I, but also like as you said kind of like and 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 you know the 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 film, the best film and the best director matching up so much, you know, if the director is so responsible and so accountable for the quality of that final film, mm. how do you judge the difference between best film and best director? You know, best direction, best director, best film. These so semantics. They're so, they're razor sharp, thin differences yeah. between these things. I also think that, I mean, like it's, it depends on how involved the director is as well. Um, and it also should depend on how many, shoots there are i mean if you've got a um you know an entire second um second team shooting you know it all comes back to the director but a lot of that's being done by someone else yeah i remember being disappointed when i was much much younger and really getting into film and like following some of my favorite directors and like reading in the credits like second unit director and being like there's other directors on these movies yeah. what the fuck <laughs> but he's an auteur yeah, it's a um, logistics yeah so and yeah, I think you could scrap the best director award yeah. easily because the the director gets the best film award yeah. anyway. So. I reckon that they should have best director every five years, and Whoa. it should be a culmination of you. You can't just submit one project. It's their work over right. those five yeah. years, and I it that, could be one movie. That's cool. It could, it could be, be yeah. five movies. But that's I, cool. But for me, it is. So, I I, hate, I really hate people jumping onto directors when they've had one hit, and you're like, that's just one hit. I mean. You know the the adage of um, a broken clock is right right twice a day type thing. Like yeah, you know how much of that is luck? How much of that is just right time, right place? You know I think a good director is someone that has consistency and has shown to have consistency in in creating. And I don't mean consistency as in he makes the same film every time, but that you are consistently you know blown away or entertained or terrified. You know. Flanagan, um, you know, the ones that I mentioned before, like the ones that everyone mentions, like Tarantino has a consistency about him. Um, Nolan has a consistency about him. Um, Villeneuve has a consistency about him. Um, though, and, and those are, are directors that are contributing to film that are, are you know, it would, it would be nigh impossible to argue against them being some of the best directors around. Those are the people that I think that should deserve those kind of films or, or sorry, like uh, you said every awards. five years they get the nominees and they get each of them to make the exact same film from the same script with the same crew and see who makes the best one <laughs> like switching the movies around uh no just take a script and get each of those directors to make that movie oh okay with, with the same with the make. same crew that would yeah. be so interesting oh, and it can take the next yes. five years and then we'll get the results that would be fascinating. One final thing I'll throw in here is an uh, interview I watched with Ryan Coogler, the director of Creed and Black Panther. And I'm such a director's guy, you know. 
um, what's Nolan got coming up next? What's mm. Tarantino got in the pipeline? He you said, were talking not- about it, Michietti the other week as though he was a god. Yeah, I know. Now <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's a mere mortal. Uh, Kugler said, I don't have favorite directors. I have favorite films. And I think that's an interesting idea that, mm. you know, can a director have a, a, an amazing project that's like, you know, a one one hit wonder almost and fall off the map and then you know the film is still it's still the film has a place in in history it's just the director you know Peter Jackson what it is perfect example three great films and that's it they never made another movie (laughs) Uh, (laughs) the Frighteners the Frighteners not Frighteners why are you trying to hurt me George the Feebles what was the uh, Brain dead. Bad, Brain bad dead. Taste? Bad Taste. That's it. That's it. Three great films. Four, four great films. Three and a half great films. Thanks for the question, Drew. Guys, if you have a question for us, hit us up in the YouTube comments or Instagram or Facebook. We love hearing from you. And I'm not going to be here next week or the week after. These guys are going to be looking after you. I'm look, I'm really excited to tune in and see what uh, what happens. If we can get all the technical stuff working, we'll see yeah. you next week. <laughs> It'll piece be a of, damn piece of piss, boys. Piece of piss. <laughs> well, guys, have a great time without me, and uh, you know, don't cry too much, and uh, keep this shit afloat. All right. All right. <laughs> you guys you always look after these guys. Inspirational. For me. Thank you for that, George. <laughs> See you in two weeks, Connor. Bye. See you in two weeks, Ben. Yeah. Bye.